Alright. Get all my buttons pushed and we'll get started. This um this message uh, actually started Wednesday. <laughs> I talked to Pastor Sean and He'd asked me to cover Wednesday night, and I'm like, well, you know, what are y'all doing? And so he shares with me, you know, Genesis 18. I'm like, all right, all right. So I study out Genesis 18, and and then Rhonda and I get in a discussion. Because I, I got to thinking about it. Thinking for me is really dangerous at times. But as I began to think about these things, I thought, you know, it just seems like since Pastor Sean especially has arrived, this place, this leadership, this church has been under some form of attack constantly. It's like a constant thing. One thing after another. And, and the term that come to my mind and we began to talk about was the old phrase, get a hold of the horns of the altar. When's the last time you got a hold of the horns of the altar? So we began to talk about this Wednesday night. That's kind of what I shared. I didn't do Genesis 18. I talked to those that were here about getting hold of the horns of the altar and what it means to pray, what it means to seek God. I shared a story, Pastor Ron Carpenter. Um, never met the man, but I feel like I know him well. I've listened to him enough and shared enough of his words. But he pastored a church in South Carolina called Redemption. He's out in California now. And... Uh, but he actually shared a little story one time about his staff. They had a staff meeting, typical morning staff meeting. They all gathered, and he had just been burdened. He'd been burdened that, that, that they needed to gather together and just seek the Lord as a staff. And so he shared his burden with his staff, and he said, man, we're just going to spend some time seeking the Lord. And they began to pray. About 15 minutes in, he said, I kind of glanced around the room, and Two of my staff were checking their phones, and another one was staring off into space. And how many have been there? You know, when when you, you know, it's like, okay, Lord, I, I know I need to pray, so I'll give you. Eh, I got two minutes. I can give you that. We've lost the ability, as a body of believers, of what it truly means to seek the Lord. To get a hold of the horns of the altar. To really cry out for the needs of us and God's people. Now we find it might, might be easier when we're facing a challenge that we begin to seek God. We cry out to God. Maybe, maybe it's a physical need or maybe it's a financial need or whatever it might be. And, and, and so we've, you know, we can spend more time in prayer for that because it's about us. But I want to share some things with you this morning about prayer. See, most people consider prayer to be kind of like a drive through window today. That's kind of where we've gotten to. We're this fast food service now. You know, that's how kind of we expect things of God. It, it, it's where we pull up and we don't really have time to stay. So we make sure that we get our order in, that we get just what we want before we rush away to the next one. Can you imagine this? Pulling up to heaven's drive through window and God says, welcome to McHeaven. 
May I take your order? <laughs> I know that sounds a little silly, but you know, sometimes it, it, it's kind of how we put things to the Lord. You know, we, we, we've become this microwave society. We want it now. We don't have time to wait. I got other stuff I got to do. Prayer, prayer <laughs> the, the first thing that we, that, that, that we or they, however you want to phrase this, need to know about prayer is that, that prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is not a recital. Prayer is not something we just read to God. Prayer is not something maybe, and, and honestly, maybe you do have some memorized prayers, and that's awesome. There's things or needs that you need to repeat. But it's not about a monologue. See, prayer needs to be a dialogue. You know the difference? Monologue is something you recite. Might be what an actor might recite. But a dialogue becomes a conversation. It becomes personal. It becomes between you and me. We dialogue things. Prayer is not where I speak to God and he listens. Prayer is where God and I have a conversation. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak to him, but God very dearly wants to speak to me. Now, again, there's a lot of room to, to talk about things here. I'm, I'm going to try not to stagger too long, but we spend a lot of time asking. We spend very little time listening. We spend a lot of time asking God to do it our way, yeah. and we have a hard time waiting or even accepting how he does things sometimes. Because yes. a lot of times we might get answers to our prayers. We don't see them. Because they're not what we were asking for. They don't come in the form in what we were asking. They may come in something entirely different. Yes. You, want to, you want to put a description to that? How about when we pray for someone's healing and they die? Ah. God, you didn't, hear my, you didn't hear my cry. Really? Maybe his form of healing came in taking them home out of this place of struggle out of this place of pain. Yes. yes, it's our loss, but it's his gain. And then believe it or not, it's that person's gain too when they're a believer and a follower of Christ. Because to be absent in the body is to be presence with the king. Man, <laughs> I often say that, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, I have a lot of things I'd like to do. I have a lot of things I'd like to see. You know, but, but the more I see of this world, the more I think, oh, Lord, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's get this over with. I'm, I'm tired of this mess that we live in. <sighs> Prayer is how we invite the supernatural presence of the Almighty to invade our life. Mm. We need God to invade our life. But we've got to allow him to do it. We've got to give him the, the, the open door. We've got to open our heart to him and allow him in. So we have our heart compartmentalized. Well, God, you can come into this part, this part, and this part, but eh, don't open that door, don't open this door. Leave those ones alone. You don't want to see in there. You know, you, you see that imagery where we pack that closet full of all our junk because someone's coming over to the house, and we don't want to open that door. <laughs> but that's the door that God needs to open. He needs our junk so that he can sort it out and do away with. Rhonda said this morning we were sitting out drinking coffee on the back porch. She goes, you have a lot of stuff. I said, I have a lot of junk. 
I have a lot of junk that, that could go away. You know that box that you moved when you when you moved into that house that is still there in the shed? But you never open it. Apparently you don't need it. Amen. Throw it away. I'm terrible about that. Might need that one day. <laughs> Prayer is where we take time to learn how God effectively communicates with us. Prayer is where we get to hear exciting things when we stop talking and start listening to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We get to talk to the Commander-in-Chief and ask him what he wants us to do here on this earth. What is it that you have for me to do, God? So we begin to wage spiritual warfare and we overcome our enemy through prayer. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to prepare our hearts to receive your word today. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of seeking your face in this place, coming before your throne as a child. God, I ask you to help each of us here today to commit to listening to your voice and to do your will as you've given it in your word. Don't let anyone leave this place the way we've come. But God, let life change take place so that we become who you want us to be in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. That was kind of like the appetizer. <laughs> now I want to get into the message. Getting a hold of the altar. This image that you see on the screen is... is the best depiction of an image that I could find about the altar that was used in that time frame. And if you'll notice on the corners, those are the horns. Those are the horns that are described. And what it says to, to get hold of the horns of the altar is what I'm going to describe to you today. First Kings chapter 1, verse 50. It says, Adoniah was afraid of Solomon. So he rushed to the sacred tent and he grabbed onto the horns of the altar. So in the Old Testament, this piece of furniture was, was, a, was a bronze altar. And Ezekiel describes it very well in Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 13 through 18. It says, These are the measurements of the altar in units of length, each unit being standard length plus three inches. Never have understood that. Kind of like a cubit. The gutter is 21 inches deep, 21 inches wide, with a rim of 9 inches around its edge. This is the base of the altar. The distance from the gutter on the ground to the lower ledge is 3.5 feet, and the width of the ledge is 21 inches. There are 7 feet from the small ledge to the large ledge, whose width is also 21 inches. The altar hearth is 7 feet high. And four horns project upward from the hearth. The hearth is square, 21 feet long by 21 feet wide. The ledge is 24 and a half feet long and 24 and a half feet wide with four equal sides. The rim all around it is 10 and a half inches, and its gutter is 21 inches all around. The altar steps face east. Verse 18 said, Then he said to me, Son of man, this is what the Lord God says. These are the statutes for the altar on the day it is constructed, so that my burnt offerings may be sacrificed on it and the blood may be splattered on it. 
That's a big piece of furniture. Yeah. I mean, you know, that little picture is a box. <laughs> it's a big box. It was an altar. It had significance. Everything that God did in that day had significance. Yes. Those horns become quite significant in this thing. So those altars where the, the, the sacrifices were made, the trough and everything to contain those things. But it seems that all worshipers had access to the altar. Even fugitives seeking asylum might actually cling to the horns of the altar. In Exodus 21, verses 13 through 14, actually we'll start with verse 12. Whoever strikes a person so that he dies must be put to death. But if he did not intend any harm, and yet God allowed it to happen, I will appoint a place for you where you may flee. Being that altar. The scripture reverence comes from a time where rightful king of Israel was Solomon. But one of his brothers, Adoniah, hard to say that word, Adoniah, got, got it in his mind that he was to be king. And once David found out, he proclaims Solomon as king. And Adoniah was afraid that his brother might actually kill him for wanting to take his place. He immediate, his immediate reaction was to run to the place of worship and grab the horns of the altar and ask for mercy. He did receive it that day. The altar has two meanings. The first meaning was that the altar symbolized the very cross of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 10 says, We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat from. We're not worthy of that. The second is that the altar symbolized fiery prayer. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. The fire on the altar is to be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest will burn wood on the fire. He is to arrange the burnt offering on the fire, burn the fat portions from the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. I think there's a real significance to that. Somewhere in here we have to understand that we are the fuel on that altar. We become the fuel that burns constantly on that altar through our prayer, through our conversations, through our communication, through our constant relationship with God our Father. One man said this, altars were places where the divine and human worlds interacted. Altars were places of exchange, communication, and influence. God responds actively to an altar. Yes. God responds to that altar. It was his requirement of old, and it's still his requirement today. Simply put, when we use the term grab hold of the horns of the altar... That means that we go to God with all of our hearts and that we cry out for mercy based on the result of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Maybe it's been a long time since you've grabbed hold of the horns of the altar. Maybe you haven't really felt the need to. You know, we, we get caught up in our life. We get caught up in this, this mundane thing and we forget sometimes why we're here. 
We're not here to hold down that job. We're actually not here to raise a family. We're not here to mow someone's grass, although I'm really glad you do. <laughs> what are we here for? Why did God create us in the beginning? He created us for relationship. He created us for fellowship with him. I, 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 I continually go back to the time when he created Adam in the garden. I mean, God had already created all these things. He created all these animals, all these cool things of nature that we see, that we get to enjoy. But it wasn't enough. So it says in Genesis, way back in the beginning, that, that we made man in our image. I love that. God didn't say I made man in my image. He said we made, we made man in our image. Totally putting the Trinity into play here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We made man in our image. Why? For fellowship. For relationship. The Bible describes how Adam and God walked in the cool of the garden together. Can you imagine what that was like? To just hang out with God at the end of your day? Just stroll through the garden talking about stuff? Just relationship with God? Do you realize that we still have that availability yes. today? Yes. Nothing's changed with God. Man corrupted it. Man messed it up. But God hasn't changed. He still desires to walk in the garden in the evening with us. To commune with us on a regular basis. For us to call out to him in times of need, but to call out to him in times of joy, in times of peace, just to commune with him in relationship. We plead our need before God until we receive it. That's grabbing hold of the horns of the altar. To get a hold of something and say, God, I'm not turning loose. How we in this day need to learn how to grab hold of the horns of the altar of prayer. This is a place where God interacts with people on the basis of what Jesus has done. Not for our misguided efforts. God responds to the sacrifice of his son for us when we cry out. God the Father receives and shows favor. He grants access to that praying person as he would his own son Jesus to the throne room of God himself. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, yes. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, therefore, I love that word. You know what that word means? Therefore, it simply means because of this and because you can, because we should. That word therefore simply means because of all of these things that have just been spoken, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. We come to God boldly. Yes. Now listen, we do when we're in trouble. 
It ain't hard to come to God boldly when we're in trouble, right? But what about when someone else is in trouble? What, what, what about, I mean, that's what sparked this whole thing. It's like, we got to go to war. We've got to learn to fight. Not, not for necessarily myself, but I want to I fight for Pastor Sean and his family. I want to fight for Pastor Amber, their family. I, I've got a buddy that's fighting. He, he's, he's fighting cancer. You know, my best friend. I met that man when I was two years old. <laughs> Been a lot of water under the bridge since then. I want to fight for him. I want to plead his case. We, we talked about intercessory prayer, I believe. I think it was Aunt Sissy brought that up Wednesday night. What does it mean to be an intercessor? See, Jesus today is our intercessor. Yes. Yes. He stands in the gap. Because yes. you know how God reacted in the Old Testament. When people messed up, he sent hail of fire. I can't fix that. <laughs> I can fix hail. But I don't know how to fix hell that's on fire. He destroyed things. How do you think he looks at us today on this world? In this world? You think he's happy with the way this world's going? I have a feeling that God's face is a little red. That he's angry. But you know what his son Jesus, the intercessor does? God, hang on just a minute. Give them a little bit more time. Give them another day. I I think some of them are going to repent. Just give them a little more time. He he intercedes. That word intercessor is he pleads their case. Jesus pleads our case. For us to become an intercessor, that's exactly what we do. We plead the case of another. We stand in the gap. We're called to that. It's part of that relational factor. A person grabs hold of the horns of the altar. He consciously, mentally, and spiritually grabs hold of the sacrifice of Christ. He or she says, Heavenly Father, because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, I need you to answer me. I cry out. I beg you. I plead for you. I I implore you, God. Answer my cry. That's what it means to get hold of the horns of the altar. This is why we always pray in Jesus' name. It seems that many of today's ways have kind of taken that altar and the need to run to it out of the equation of salvation and seeking God. We needed more room. We, 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 we don't have time for that. I, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I hate that phrase. I've said it. Why would me calling you to the altar to repent or to find God should I embarrass you by? (laughs) That's not an embarrassing moment. We've made it that. Man has made it that. That's not how God responds. God looks at you with mercy. And he calls on you to find yourself on your knees before him. It's not some man with a stick in judgment. Lord have mercy, I would have some lumps if he was. God's passion 
for us. I love this phrase. I can be one with God in nature. I don't need church. Hebrews chapter 10, 25, I believe is the, the phrase where it says, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints, especially as you see the day approach. Now, I I got news for you. I am, uh, I have no problems communing with God in the deer stand. I really don't. I don't have any problems communing with God on the deck of a boat with a fishing pole in my hand. I can. I love it. I love his creation. I love his nature. I love sitting on my back porch listening to the coyotes, listening to the bird, the bobwhite quail just flips my trigger, man. I love listening to these things. His creation. I can commune with God and his creation, but like it or not, I need his people. Yes. Amen. You, you might very well can find God in nature. You might very well not need a church, but you need his people. Yes. Especially as we see the day approach. What day is that? <laughs> Look around us. The end is near. It has to be. How in the world can we go much deeper than where we are right now? How in the world can it get much worse? It will. But Lord, I pray he comes and gets us before that happens. I'm ready. And if I go to the altar, someone might think I got a problem. Heaven forbid. I've been in ministry since 1996. Been in ministry full time since 98. There's some form of staff. That's a long time, you know. And, and I, I'll say this: we, uh, we, mankind, church people. We pedestalize our ministers. We put targets on them. They can't have a problem. If they've got a problem, there's something wrong. We judge them. We scrutinize them. I get to say this because I ain't on nobody's staff but the Lord's. (laughs) So I can get by with saying things that sometimes a pastor in a pulpit can't say. That's why they label me an evangelist. If I can come in and kick somebody's shins, then the pastor can bring up some salve later and calm everybody down. I actually had a pastor apologize to his congregation one night. (laughs) I still there. (laughs) I I ain't lying. He, he, uh, (laughs) I was, I was, basically um, itinerating or seeking my own support. I was working with juvenile, uh, the juvenile justice system, and I was working with a lot of at-risk kids and things, and had left my staff position as a youth pastor and pursued that full-time. We were in New Mexico, and so I traveled, I spoke at different churches, you know, trying to get local support for what we were doing, and this happened to be Church of Christ. I, I mean, <laughs> I got nothing against them, you know, 
He offered his place for me to come speak. He told me I had about 20 minutes. I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> I can do this. So he turned it over to me. You know, at Church of Christ, that place where they don't believe in musical instruments for worship, and then people can sing. Man, they can sing. I was impressed. I'd like to have heard some music, but I was impressed. But they, he gives me the pulpit, and I, I'm just a handful of people, wasn't a whole lot, and the Sunday night service, you know. <laughs> I gave them what the Lord put on my heart. I challenged them. I challenged them to become men and women of God. Listen, we're, we're not designed to be a bump on a pickle. We are designed to get out of our comfort zones, to get into this world and to preach His Word. So that's what I did. And when I finished, he took this spot and he apologized to his congregation. He said, man, I thought he was just going to come ask for your money. I didn't know he was going to come step on your toes. Guys, we need our toes stepped on from time to time. We need a good shin kicking once in a while. Because we find ourselves in a rut. And Christianity becomes this mundane, everyday thing. And we don't share it with anybody. I love that phrase, uh, I got to go to church. You want to go with me? Oh, boy, there's an exciting invitation. <laughs> See, church ought to be this place of excitement. Amen. It ought to be this place where we, where we come to celebrate. Yes. That we come in this place happy, yes. celebrating all the ministry that took place out there in the world throughout the week from us. Not from the guy we pay, from us. And then the guy we pay, his job to refill, to refuel, to fire us back up and to send us back out for another round. It's warfare. It's what it's about. Have mercy, I have no idea where I'm at. Uh, (laughs) 15 minutes. I got a page and a half. We're good. Listen, Jesus Christ is the altar. He is the altar. He is the mercy seat. He is the high priest. He is the slain lamb. He is the tabernacle of God. Jesus Christ is everything. The altar call is not to come to a certain part of the church that's holy. It's not a forward motion of kneeling that's holy. But what is holy is the act of faith. In prayer. The altar call is a time of prayer. It's a time when we call people to respond to the gospel, where people can come and be prayed for as they lay hold of God for healing, for deliverance, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No one prays to be seen by man, but public or private. The right kind of prayer is where people do business with God. Grabbing the horns of the altar is where a transaction that takes place between heaven and earth. God and His Son, His sons and daughters communing together in a sweet fellowship. Today's Christians, they want to pray so that somehow they feel more spiritual or they just feel better. We've come and done our religious duty for the day, our exercise, our therapy, rather than a true communication with God. But a follower of Christ, a true believer, needs to grab hold of the horns of the altar 
Begin to offer a kind of prayer that gets an answer from God. Seek to pray in the Spirit. To have prayers ignited by the Spirit. The Bible says in James 5, 16, The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. What do you think that means? The word effectual. Heartfelt. The heartfelt fervency. God, I'm praying with a fervency. I'm praying with power. I'm praying with an expectation of something to happen. I'm not just offering up penance. God, I expect you to answer me. I'm calling out for you to answer me. James says that the person who gets an answer to prayer has a sense of urgency. Their prayer has an intensity of a cry for help. That is why a person who grabs hold of the horns of the altar does so energetically and fervently. (laughs) The prayer they speak is from the heart, and it is red hot. It burns like the unyielding fire on the bronze altar. It is heated by the fire of the Holy Spirit upon the altar of the heart of not manufactured by emotion. This isn't about emotion. It's, it's about a need. It's about crying out with such a need. James says that, that this produces powerful results. It accomplishes much. Whether in private or in public, when we come to the altar, when we come to the altar of prayer, that we lay hold of the God of Jacob and will not let go until we have a blessing. You remember that story where Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord? And the angel of the Lord's like, dude, let go of me. I got stuff to do. Jacob's like, huh? Uh-uh. But he ain't letting go of you until God touches me. Yes, amen. He walked away with a limp. Are you ready for that? Are you, are you ready to walk away with the marking of God that you've been with God? That you've felt his touch, his presence? Oh, you're lucky. I about went to the start of that page again. I'm over here. We go to the altar for our lost loved ones. Anybody ever been passionate about crying out for someone who's lost that you know? And we all know them. We fear that they will die and they'll go to hell. So we beseech the God of heaven as we grab the horns of the altar. I love that word beseech. Southern Oklahoma, that means we double dog dare you. Sounds good, right? You know what that word actually means, to beseech? It means to beg, to urgently plead, to implore. God, I implore you. I beseech you, Lord. I beg you. I urgently plead with you, God, to touch this person's life, to meet this need. God, I'm grabbing holds of the horns of the altar, and I'm not letting go until I see you move, until I see something happen. We see the sick and diseased healed as we grab hold of the horns of the altar. When's the last time you saw somebody healed? Somebody delivered? Somebody set free? Why is it not happening every week? Why is it not happening every day in our life? Why is it not happening in our everyday walk with the Lord? That we see somebody find the Lord and we see them released and free in Him. The kind of prayer that moves the very heart of God comes from the heart, of a, the heart cry of desperation, of urgency, of deep desire, unsatisfied with just the same old, same old. Amen. 
I, you know, I can get really bored with church. Yeah, I know I said that from the platform. But I can. Because if all church is, is the same old, same old. If all we're doing is coming here because, well, you're supposed to. It's Sunday morning. It's what you're supposed to do. Get dressed up and come shake a few people's hands and be nice to one another on that one day. And then go back to life as normal? What is normal? We've lost every sense of normal there can be. This is our time. This is the time for the church to get off its pew. This is the time for the church to get into this world, to speak the gospel, to live our life according to His Word. Don't just be a Sunday Christian. Be a follower of Christ every day. Showing someone something different in your life. What are they seeing you today? This kind of prayer, this grabbing hold of the horns of the altar, we become desperate for it now. Were y'all able to find that song? Sweet. Go ahead and start it. This is an old song, but it has such a power. Anybody remember Revival Days? Pensacola, Florida. This is what God is asking of us today. That, that, that we get hold of His altar. That we come running to His mercy seat. That we find Him here. That we don't leave this place the way we came. We ask for the fire of God to fall on us. To begin to burn inside of us. So that I can start a fire in somebody else. You know how a wildfire starts in Oklahoma, right? It just takes a little spark at the right time. You want to be a wildfire? You want to be that little spark that starts revival around you? That's what we're called for. This is our time. This is what God is calling us for today. And I want to to implore you today. I I want you to get out of your comfort zone. I want you to come to the front. Don't don't just... uh, I'm talking about get away from who you normally are. And come before the Lord today and ask Him to do something in you that's different, that's new, that's fresh. That He gives you a fresh fire and a fresh oil and a fresh burning in your heart to reach the lost. Seek out that which is lost so that it may be found. We're out of time. We're out of time. As this song plays, I literally want to ask you to come to the front. You need special prayer, I'll pray for you. No problem with that at all. But I want you to find yourself out of your comfort zone and come to the Lord. Seek Him today like you've never sought Him before and ask Him to not let you leave this place the way you came. Come on. Come running. Come running to the mercy seat. Come running to the place of God. Let Him touch you. Let Him seek you. Let Him feel you today. Let him move on you in a way you've never felt before. Yeah. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.